Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hello, this is Linda. Oh, Linda, you were supposed to say this is Richard. I missed my cue on that. We hope everybody is having a good day today. We're having a great day. We are now starting to gear down at Bear Lake. We've had two families leave and two singles leave. And we're kind of sad because it's just quite a deal. And I'm not. I'm kind of happy that reunion's over. I was about to die of exhaustion. <laughs> I do have to say that in figuring out, I think every 10 days we served about 1,200 meals. Honestly, since the first of July, July, we've had between 30 and 47 here every single day. And uh, food is a deal when you have that many people and there's not a store in sight. So we've not had a, a lot of fun. Actually, we've, we have five daughters and daughters-in-law who are gourmet cooks, and we've had fabulous food. But That you know, leaves four daughters or daughters-in-law who can't cook their way out of a paper bag. No, that's not right. They're <laughs> all good cooks. They're hey, all good cooks. I wanted to say, uh, it just occurred to me as we were waiting to come on the air today, it occurred to me some people may be tuning in and they may be saying, um, hey, what in the world do these people call this Ayers on the Road for? And it occurred to me, Lynn, it's the second radio show series we've done that has the word road in it. We one time, way back in the dim, dark past when we were preparing to run for governor, we did a show on KSL Radio called The Blue Roads. Remember that? We were traveling. Our goal was to visit every town in Utah, and we, we said that kind of flippantly one day as we geared up for this campaign. We said, we're going to visit every town in Utah, and I thought there were probably about 60 or 70 towns in Utah. There are over 300 but we dutifully got to the mall in a motor home with all of our kids and a dog that had puppies. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Well, in fact, uh, speaking of motor home, we did finish up our motor home trip for those who were listening last time and had a lot of fun with those three 12-year-olds. That was um, a riot. And Lagoon, I have to say, was pretty fun. Um, well, actually, that's a perfect segue, Linda. We we spent some time with our 12-year-olds. We always do a motorhome trip with 12-year-old grandkids in the year they turn 12. But these darn kids wanted to go to Lagoon. And we're like, well, gosh, can't we think of some more educational place? We usually took the others to a national park or something. But we just got there and had quite a time in Pioneer Village. And that is one of the things I wanted to bring up today because here we are close to the 24th of July, the week, this is the week of that wonderful holiday when the Mormon pioneers first entered the Salt Lake Valley. And Unless they happen to be listening to this before or after that, because well, I, I think, think they've rerun the show. But anyway, we are I think it's just going to run this week, so it's perfect. They'll get, it, they'll get it all week long if they turn in, but if they tune in. But, you know... I, I just want to say something. I bet you'll argue with me a little on this, Linda, like you are want to do. But I, I think along with thinking of the hard times the pioneers had on this holiday, which is an appropriate thing because I wouldn't want to walk across the plains, but I think it behooves us to also think of 
what a good life they had. I mean, this is what we were thinking of. We were in Erastus Bingham's little cabin, which is sitting there reconstructed just like it was in Pioneer times, sitting there um, in Lagoon in Pioneer and Village. You should mention your relationship to Erastus Bingham. Erastus Bingham's my great, great, great grandfather. And it was it was Erastus, by the way, who um, homesteaded up in Bingham Canyon. It wasn't called Bingham Canyon then, but it was, became named after Erastus Bingham. And one day, Erastus found some reddish rock in the ground and brought it to Brigham Young and said, Brigham, I think there's copper in these mountains. I wonder if you'd feel okay about me changing my profession from a sheep herder to a miner, and reportedly, as of, as Rastus Bingham recalled the story, Brigham Young said, "Leave it in the ground, brother Rastus. You'll be a happier man." And we've always thought about that and wondered uh, why how happy we'd be given. with an extra million or two. Yeah, we'd like to be part <laughs> owners as descendants of the discoverer of the Kennecott copper mine, but it uh, didn't work out that way. But anyway. Back to my point, I'll make it quickly, Linda, and then you can rebut or whatever. I think the pioneers, despite the hardness of the time and the hardness of the land, I think they lived a lot of, let me not say they lived wonderful, easy lives, but let me say I think they had a lot of joy in their lives. And I think they had good food. They had clean water. They had beautiful, unpolluted air. They, They lived an interesting and adventuresome life. And... Yes, we should remember their hard times, but we should also remember the joy with which they lived and how happy they were to be isolated, to be away from persecution, to be in a place where they could create their own society. How many, how, what percentage of human beings who've ever lived on the earth have had that opportunity to, to forge a society, to create what Brigham called a, a Zion society, where People lived together in harmony and helped each other and, and enjoyed the beauty of the world. I just, you know, I I think, Linda, you'd have been a pretty good pioneer. I'd have had a little problem without being able to have a big screen TV, but you'd have been fine. <laughs> you know, I always thought I'd be a great pioneer, too, until I had a placenta previa with our fifth pregnancy, and uh, which means you have to have a C-section. So if I had been out on the trail, you know, in a covered wagon, I would be buried out there. So that would have been bad. I think the health issues were the hardest things for those people. I mean, I have um, an uncle who, at age 18, got appendicitis, and they said, well, we there's this new drug called penicillin, but we don't have any in the valley. This is Bear Lake Valley. And so they... Um, they did all they could to get it here. They raised money for twenty dollars is what it took, which was the same as maybe two thousand dollars you know then but it was really amazing because they finally raised enough money to end, but by the time they got it here, he was gone and I think you know the health issues are the hard things, but I agree with you that they had a wonderful life. Uh, we were just during our reunion. And just before my father passed away about 33 years ago, we bought the first video that was ever made um, for a VHS, and we filmed my camcorder, dad. Camcorder, you're talking about. We bought a, bought a camcorder. A camcorder. And um, we recorded my dad 
uh, actually about five weeks before he passed away. And he and my mom told stories of their lives, and it was so amazing to think what a different world, but actually what a good world. Even though my mom lost her mom in the great flu epidemic in 1918, she, um, her father remarried, and he had, let's see, they had eight kids, and she had five, and there were two parents, so 15 people around the table, three meals a day. So that mother was baking bread every day, I'm sure, from scratch, and she said they fed them totally from the farm produce. They had huge gardens and fed them from there. But think how healthy they were. They had milk, they had eggs, they had meat, they had vegetables. They had a lot of cholesterol and they didn't even care. That's right. They didn't. My dad lived to the ripe old age of 87. He eventually did have some heart issues, but he was healthy for 87 years uh, living on that diet because he worked so hard. I mean, he was working so hard every day, and, and my mom as well. So I think there were some great, joyful experiences. They both have happy memories of their childhood. You know, we were going to... I know this is the second time we've said this, Linda, so we've got to keep our promise this time. We said a while ago that we were going to devote an entire show to how to talk to your children about sex, and we were going to get to that today. But, you know, I just want to keep going on this pioneer theme for a little while because so much we can learn, whether or not we had pioneer ancestors. Many many of us didn't have, but I did, but many didn't, but they know the stories. And there's a lot to be gained. But I think next week we will try to devote the whole show to how to talk to your child about sex, but let's take a little break. And when we come back from the break, I want to tell you a couple of pioneer stories about my ancestors. And I want to come back to this theme of how happy we are in our families is not a product of how many conveniences we have or how much technology or how much money or how much anything else. It's a product of the choices we make and we can make a choice to be happy just like so many of these pioneer ancestors did despite their hardships. We'll be right right back after the break. Hey, we're back. Ours on the road. And did you hear that ad? I think they're going to run that ad each time the show runs. Linda, Education Week coming right up at BYU. And we're only going to be speaking one day this year, and it's the first day, the 19th, the Monday of Education Week. We kind of like going on Mondays when we're busy and traveling and can't stay the whole week because we have a little longer classes, and we have a good time every year at Education Week, don't we, Linda? We do. We just enjoy meeting people, and they have wonderful, amazing stories to tell us, and we learn as much as we teach, I'm sure. Yeah, we do. We probably learn a little more than we teach. Back to the pioneers. Um, You know... A lot of times uh, the question is posed, is parenting harder or easier now than it's ever been before? And usually when we ask that to, to an audience these days, the vast majority, I'd say 98% of our audiences say, oh, it's harder now than it's ever been. I mean, look at what we have to deal with today. And then they start talking about everything from video games and violence to earlier and earlier experimental recreational sex and substance abuse and drugs and all the media problems and all the internet and all the things other parents didn't have to deal with. And we pretty much agree in balance, but 
This is a neat day as we think about pioneers to get some perspective and to, and to make the simple claim that very few disagree with when they really think about it, which is parenting was never easy. Parenting has always been hard, but it surely is hard in different ways today. Back when the pioneers were around, I, you know, I read my, I read my grandfather's journal, and my grandfather. I'm going to tell you real quickly about two of my grandparents, and then Linda's going to maybe chip in with some of her wonderful ancestors. But my grandfather Swenson, my mother's dad, immigrated from Sweden as a little boy made his trek across to Utah and became a carpenter. And I read his journal, and on the one hand, I say, boy, he did have a tough life. On the other hand, I say, wow, what a life he had. I mean, he raised ten children. He raised them uh, in a beautiful home that he built himself. took him several years to build it, but it turned out to be a beautiful three-story home because he had the skill to build it. He was a carpenter indeed. And he had a big garden. He fed his family mostly from his own produce. He was a beekeeper. He brought in honey every day. And his kids worked with him. They'd go out into the garden and work. They'd go to the beehives with him. They did all these things. And they really lived a remarkable life. I just read an account the other day where um, a couple of the uh, boys took a train back to Detroit. One was 15 and one was... 14, and they picked up a car and drove it from Detroit to Salt Lake City. It took them about 20 days, and apparently you didn't have to bother with driving licenses in those days. So anyway, I read these accounts, and I say, he didn't have it so bad. It was pretty nice, but they did have a lot of hardships. Um, I have to agree with that. Um, we... I actually, my mom in this video that we made was telling the story of she and her older brother and a younger uh, sister who were put on a drill or no, a rake. And they, That's a farm implement for yes, you non-farmers. Yes. Uh, when they were, let's see, seven, eight, and nine. And the dad fixed a box so they couldn't fall out or couldn't get out. And... They, well, I guess they could climb out, but anyway, they couldn't fall out. And they put them behind two horses and put them in these giant fields. They had hundreds of acres to plant and take care of and so on, mostly alfalfa. And they, honestly, they sat out there all day. They gave them a little lunch, and they went out all day on those, uh, and that, with those horses driving them. And honestly, she said, really, that was the only help we had. The kids were our ranch hands, so to speak, and we had to use their help. And by the time they were six, seven, or eight, any of them could drive an outfit. They knew how to put things together. And now you think about your children at seven, eight, and nine, and imagine them out in the field doing that. It just blows your mind, um, the things that they did with kids. And I mean, parenting was totally different then. In fact, parenting was not a word. Um, it was just a matter of, you know, providing for a family. And that was what it was about. And, of course, uh, having a large family was not thought of in pioneer times as a hardship. On the contrary, those that were able to have many children had an economic advantage because they had more workers. They had more people to work on their farm and raise their crops. But we don't need to tell you about agrarian societies and how many good things there were along with how many challenges there were. But I did want to... 
mention the other side of my family, the Iyer side. My great-great-grandfather, Edwin Iyer, who was the son of Ann Naylor and what was the first Iyer's name, honey? You know, you're right there by Arella? the... Arella? No, no, the first Iyer, the... the Oh, it's not on the tree, but Edwin Iyer's father, the one that left England and first came to this country. Sanford, was it? No, no, no. You're on the Binghams. Yeah. Anyway, let's not argue well, about that. Well, the, the point is, is Edwin Iyer, my great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, uh, they got to New York and they needed to find a way across the plains uh, before, long before the railroad, of course, early days of the church, and... Um, Edwin and his younger brother, Benjamin, presented themselves to one of the wagon trains and, and, and interviewed to be hired as wranglers. Wranglers, of course, were the ones that took care of the horses and brought them along and drove the teams and so on. Problem is, neither of them had ever seen a horse before, literally. had not. I mean, I guess they'd seen a horse, but knew nothing about horses. And they weren't dishonest. They, uh, the guy finally asked him, I assume you're experienced with horses. They said, no, 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 but we're, we learn fast. And apparently they were, they were pretty, uh, they were imposing physically. And, and so they got hired and they learned on the job and they made their way along the trail, the Pioneer Trail, and got here and did a pretty good job uh, getting their family to Zion, as it were, and then if you read about uh, Edwin's family, he had an Edwin Jr., and they, were, they raised their, their family mostly down in Minersville, Utah, where there's still a lot of heirs. They called it Air, by the way. That's the real pronunciation of E-Y-R-E. And then I had an uncle, bless his soul, a great uncle, who thought he'd make it more phonetic by changing it to Ayer, and he, he failed because... Everyone spells our name I-R-E or calls us Irie or Eerie or whatever. Eerie is the worst, actually. And we'd like to go back to air, but we can't. So anyway, that's just a sidelight. But that family then moved up to Wyoming and had uh, Edwin Jr. had a family of eight boys in a row. And then finally a little girl in the end and one of the boys was my grandfather and I read about where they were raised in a little cabin about the same size as Erastus Bingham's 16 by 16 and all eight boys slept in a loft just a kind of a shelf basically is what it was above the single room in the cabin but you read about their life hard work but a lot of fun and a lot of joy and a lot of growth. Some of them were rebels. The parents, It's not like the parents then didn't have to deal with rebellion and with kids that kind of had a strong will and went their own way, but they all turned out fine, and it was a quite a time for parenting. It was a quite a time for families, and bless their heart, they all... Uh, worked hard and they all did their best and many of them ended up working on the railroad up around Rollins and Green River, Wyoming and so on and when my dad was born he wanted to go to college and that hadn't happened much in that Iyer family and he went off to Utah State University and met my mother Ruth Swenson and they were married and that's my story and I'm I'm grateful on this Pioneer Week for my own heritage. Now 
I just want to say one quick thing. Whether your heritage is a pioneer one or whether it's uh, something else, your children need to know your family narrative. They need to see the kind of thing Linda's just painted for our family up here at Bear Lake, a tree with roots and branches, and they can trace their ancestors. Why, you say, who cares? Kids don't care about genealogy. No, they care about where they came from, and nothing strengthens their sense of identity than knowing, not just some picture and a name, that's not enough, stories about those ancestors that they can learn from and grow from. Yeah, even, I think we've mentioned this before, Bruce Feiler, who we're a fan of recently, he writes for the New York Times, but does a lot of writing and so on on parenting. And we love him because he just teaches the same things we do exactly. It's like we met in a conference room and decided this is what we were going to say. But it really is so interesting. He has an article in the New York Times called The Stories That Bind Us. If you want to look it up on the Internet, you can. But he it is just so fascinating because he has done so much research on what makes children resilient, what makes them self-confident, self-reliant, all those things. And, and able to survive disasters a lot better than other children. And interestingly, they found that those who knew about their family narrative, who knew stories of their grandparents or great-grandparents who had had a hard time and survived the good and, that. Yeah, the good times and the hard times. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have a grandmother who um, was absolutely amazing. They left Denmark. With six children, they had six children. Their oldest daughter died, a 14-year-old, just before they left. So with five children, they went to Liverpool. They joined the Mormon church. They got on a, a ship at Liverpool along with someone else who had the measles. And before they got to New York City, three of their children died of the measles and had to be buried in the ocean. And a fourth one died just as they sighted New York, the Statue of Liberty. So... Sadly, they took him on shore, and so they had one to bury him, but they had one child left, James. So she walked across the plains 1,000 miles, pregnant, did not give up, and um, absolutely amazing story. Uh, Got here finally, uh, was asked by Brigham Young with her husband to come and settle Bloomington, which is right across the lake from where we are and where all our ancestors are now buried. And it's such an amazing story because she hung in there through everything, and then on top of everything else, her husband left her for a for a second wife. And oh, left. that bum, Linda. I mean, See, honestly, I don't have any of those. Maybe those there's some things I don't know, history. but you know, this woman survived <laughs> so many hard times, and boy, I put big bouquets on her grave every year because especially big. I yeah. just think you know, if she can do that, I can do anything. And I think that's the way it is for our children, too. If they know the hard times that we've had and that our parents and, and grandparents have had, it really is helpful to them to know those, those yeah, tough times. Yeah, they, they come through. They're, they become more resilient. And by the way, thank you for saying the word James, because, of course, that was the original heir, James Eyre, who, who left England and uh, was the person that made a right angle turn for our family. Uh, if you go back in his genealogy, 10 or 12 generations lived in the same little town in Lincolnshire, England. And then he, James, and his wife, Anne, joined the Mormon church and immigrated. And it was his son, who was Edwin, who got a job as a wrangler and got him all the way. And what a story. What a thing to remember on this Pioneer Week. May we all 
be thankful for our heritage and our ancestry wherever it's from and learn all we can about it and pass it on to our kids. And we will see you next time on Ayers on the Road.